everybody. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 2nd of April, 2011. On the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about some uh, training decisions that I've made. We've also got some feedback. Got a little bit of feedback from Brad, and we got some uh, from Jeff in Dallas. And then we also have an email that I'm going to talk about from uh, Jason up in Canada a little bit later in the show. Uh, but before we do all that stuff, let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about if you wanted to send in feedback to me. Uh, if you've got a suggestion for the show or a question about something or you'd just like to have your voice heard on the show, you can do that by going through the voicemail, which is area code 206-339-3266, uh, or you can send me an email at uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com. If you want, you can attach a uh, MP3 or a WAV file to that. I can drop that into the show. If your file is too big, uh, you can uh, use transferbigfiles.com. It's free. And uh, you can um, upload it to their server. They send me an email, and then I just download it from them. doesn't cost anything. Uh, it's a really neat service. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you can, go over to iTunes and leave a review there for me. A written review would be much appreciated. Also, on the website, if you go over to firearmscafe.com, and you scroll down, uh, you'll see some ads there. And if you click on those, check them out, see if it's something that you're interested in. Every time you click on them, I do get uh, a little bit of money. And like I, I say on most of the shows, it does help defer some of the cost. So if you've done that in the past or are doing that now, I really appreciate it. It helps me out quite a bit. Uh, before I forget, the music that you're hearing kind of laid underneath this is uh, by Kevin McLeod. Also, at the end of the show today, I'm going to drop in some music, and that's also by Kevin McLeod as well. Uh, so I just wanted to go ahead and give him credit for that stuff today. Uh, let's see. Speaking of, or uh, kind of backtracking a little bit, talking about those reviews, I did want to say uh, thank you to both Brad and Dale for the most recent reviews that you've left over there. Uh, again, I, I really appreciate that. It does help out the show. Uh, Also, don't forget that if you like this show or you like shows like it, maybe this is the first time that you're listening to the show and at the end of it you may say, hey, that's a pretty good show, I like it, I wish there was something similar. Uh, Or you may say, ah, you know, that show's not my cup of tea. Uh, And if that's the case, I'd invite you to go over, or if either one is the case, I guess I should say, I'd invite you to go over to gunrightsradio.com, of which I am a member and uh, there's several other shows over there we have tons and tons of them over there Uh, lots of good ones Uh, it's gotten to the point now where it's uh, almost too many to name Uh, back in the old days when it first started out and i was lucky uh, enough to get in sort of on the ground floor so to speak uh, i think we only had about seven or eight and uh, now there are quite a few over there i think let me count them up and see how many we got including this one it looks like we've got about 18 so quite a uh, quite a lot of growth has gone on when i very first started listening to gun related podcasts a few years ago there was only maybe about five or six that were putting stuff out that was real consistent now 18 shows on our network alone i think we're it, it illustrates uh, to some extent uh, that there is becoming more of a, a wide widespread acceptance 
of firearms. We're seeing things that I've talked about on other shows about gun-related shows. We're seeing commercials that uh, on on networks other than sportsman or hunting channel type things that are uh, showing uh, firearms and firearm-related products. Uh, so uh, again, uh, you know, I, I think we are uh, we're slowly winning and kind of overcoming some stuff. Uh, also, you know, look at what a, a lot of the laws that are being passed, a lot of the things that are uh, the, that are getting done uh, on state levels, and, and a lot of things that are even being tried on uh, federal levels. Uh, you know, when we look at things like uh, national reciprocity for concealed carry that came up last year, it's going to it's going to keep coming up. Eventually, it will pass. Hey, Tony, this is Jeff in Dallas. I'm calling uh, with a comment for the Firearms Cafe. I was um, wanted to comment on the thing you discussed in episode 51 about the Goldwater Institute. And in general, I think any sort of constitutional convention is uh, a bad idea because if you were to actually hold one, pretty much anything could be up for grabs. And given the people's, you know, lack of doing anything at, say, the Patriot Act and the other things that have gone on, it seems like I wouldn't necessarily trust most of the population to not trade their liberty for security. I mean, I would be afraid of what could happen with any of the other amendments. I think the amendment allowing three-quarters of the states to override the federal amendment is a great idea, but I think it should be pushed through the Congress and the normal ratification instead of a constitutional convention. And and I do think it's actually a pretty important amendment because what happened was after they passed the 17th Amendment allowing direct election of senators, the states no longer really have a check and balance against the federal government. Previously, senators wouldn't say vote for all these unfunded mandates and push them back on the states because they would lose their job. And now there's kind of no check against populism by the states. And so the three-quarters amendment that would allow any state to overturn uh, federal or, you know, three-quarters of the states to overturn any federal law seems like it would bring that balance back since I don't think you could convince most people in the country to repeal the 17th Amendment. Anyway, just wanted to comment on that uh, since, you know, I think constitutional conventions are sort of dangerous unless you have, you know, people that really can be trusted with it, sort of like we had with the Founding Fathers, and I just don't think we have that anymore. Anyway, uh, take it easy. Bye. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for sending that in. A lot of stuff there to discuss in your voicemail. Um, I don't know how detailed we want to go into the amendment process. Uh, maybe for some of you guys that don't know, I'll just do a very generalized thing, and then we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the, um, the Constitutional Convention. For those of you that don't know, there's basically two ways that an amendment will get um, added to the Constitution. Uh, and that's under Article 5 of the Constitution. Again, like I said, there's two amendments. Uh, Congress can introduce the amendments, so both the Senate and the House Representatives, by one method. And the states can uh, introduce or initiate the process under the other, which is 
the Constitutional Convention. Um, if, if we look back kind of at the history of stuff, really the only way that's, that any of the, the, the 27 amendments that were actually ratified and added to the Constitution has gone through Congress. Um, I, as, now, as far as how, the, 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 how that works, uh, pretty much once Congress gets together, so once the House and the Senate, if the amendment is, is passed by a two-thirds majority vote, then those, then those amendments have to then be uh, ratified or adopted by three-fourths of all the states. So at least 38 states have to say, okay, yeah, this is what we want. Uh, at that point, um, there's some other things that go on, but basically at that point it would become law. If, if we look historically, there's probably been over 10,000 amendments that have been introduced into Congress since the 1700s, well, late 1700s, probably, um, probably about the 1780s. Uh, only, I think, 1789, only 33 of those ever got approved. So that means that only 33 of those got both got that two-thirds majority of both houses, uh, and of those again, only 27 got ratified and actually added to the Constitution. Um, the other way of amending the Constitution, like I said, was never successfully used, and this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the Constitutional Convention, and basically the states are going to start that process by petitioning Congress for a constitutional convention. And then when two-thirds of those states have submitted petitions, so again, we'd be looking at about 38, uh, once that happened, Congress is required then to call a convention. And then any amendments approved of by that convention, you still have to go through. So if, if, if the convention is called, and they ratify that petition there, then it still has to go through three-fourths of the state still have to approve it and before it would become law. Um, I'm not too concerned with, with the convention. Historically, what happens if, if we look at, and what you had mentioned earlier was the 17th Amendment, um, if we kind of look at what happened there, that went through Congress. Uh, and I, I think in 1912, and it was actually ratified in, in 1913, but in 1912, uh, Congress did pass the 17th Amendment. But this came basically from pressure from the other states because they were only, I think, one, was it just one state short of, of actually being required to have to have a constitutional convention. Um, so again, I, I don't feel that there's a lot of danger. I think there's a lot of there's still a lot of checks and balances. Um, some people feel that because of the convention process that uh, there could be maybe an abuse of that. Uh, but I, I just, there's still so many checks and balances in there that I just don't think that will happen. Uh, also, you talked a little bit about the 17th Amendment, and I had mentioned that a little bit. Um, and you talked about, again, people being willing to trade uh, their liberty for security, uh, and that happens all the time. Um, 
My view on the 17th Amendment, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it's better to have more and more power that comes eventually, that basically comes down to me as the voter. So uh, we as the people having more control over who represents us is a, is a good thing. So, and, and again, this is a, a very kind of generalized answer to that part of it. Um, the other thing you talked about right toward the end was that in, in, the, in the days of the Founding Fathers that uh, there were people in there who we could have a little bit more trust in, I guess, so to speak. And maybe the actual founders, yeah. But the founders knew that, uh, I think it was Jefferson that said that uh, that the uh, the government was going to have to be bound down by, was it the chains of the Constitution? I don't remember the exact quote. I, I uh, usually won't do that unless I have it, but... Um, he also said that, oh, here, I'll, actually, I'll go ahead and give you the quote. I just found it here. In questions of power, then, let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. And that was by Jefferson. Uh, and then again, we can look at, at what uh, guys like Daniel Webster had to say when he wrote, It's hardly too strong to say that the Constitution was made to guard the people against the dangers of good intentions. And I think we really see this a lot today. There are men in all ages who mean to govern well, but they mean to govern. They promise to be good masters, but they mean to be masters. Um, and, and the difference in, in what Webster is talking about that there is, is the difference between somebody who is your representative and somebody who is your uh, who governs you, who, who rules over you, who is your master. And he said, and that's, and I'm kind of going off topic here, but getting back to that thing about trust, that's why some of these processes were put into place. Uh, and like I said, I don't think we have to worry too much about the uh, the convention. I think if, if it really gain, gains enough steam, I think what we'll see uh, happen back in 1912, will repeat again, and that Congress will do it rather than allow a convention to go through. Um, the The actual uh, amendment that was being proposed, uh, and again, you can go over to the Goldwater Institute, uh, and if you can just type in goldwaterinstitute.org, and you can find out, uh, you can get some more information on there, but I'll kind of paraphrase and then just kind of do a little bit of a summation. Um, there's the, the amendment they're considering is the National Debt Relief Amendment. Um, and I'll, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, The NDRA contains 18 simple yet extremely powerful words. Quote, An increase in the federal debt requires approval from a majority of the legislatures of the separate states. End quote. Uh, and that's basically what they're wanting to do. They're, they're trying to, to get uh, our the federal government's budget under control and to get spending under control and to get the debt under control. So uh, hopefully that answered some of the questions that you had or, or answered some of the comments that you had. I don't really know if you had questions, so to speak, but um, maybe that helped uh, belay some of the fears you had about sort of uh, the convention process kind of uh, sort of being a shortcut or maybe a loophole. I don't, and maybe that's what you weren't talking about at all, but I do thank you for sending that in, and uh, let's go ahead and play our next voicemail. Hey, Tony, Brad from West Michigan. Hey, I'm not sure if this is a 
firearms cafe thing or an armed ape topic, but I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, open carry. I've been really struggling with the subject in my own mind, just trying to come to some conclusions as to the benefits of it. Um, you know, do the benefits outweigh the negatives? And and I just can't seem to <laughs> I can't seem to settle on something. I uh, open carry I know is a as a you know as a political statement, and uh, I think it's a good thing that way. I think it's good to exercise our rights um, to do so. And if we don't exercise those rights, well, they you know they might be taken from us. My concern is with open carry. Does it invite trouble? more than it might deter trouble if I'm somebody looking to do somebody harm and I see that they have a gun, will my intentions change and and will I choose somebody else or will I just devise a better plan to where I can outwit them, maybe uh, even plan on trying to take their gun from them and use it against that person? Is it more of a challenge for me then at that point? I'm just struggling with all the, the pluses and minuses of open carry and you know, I, I don't want that right to be taken from us. And here in Michigan, um, we can open carry. Uh, there are some restrictions on places where we can go, but uh, for the most part, it's completely legal to open carry. And with summer coming up, I've really been trying to think of this is something that I want to do. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I try to practice my gun rights as best I know how. I contact my, my politicians. NRA member, I'm a Second Amendment Foundation member. Um, I believe strongly in my Second Amendment rights, as well as, uh, you know, just our freedom in general here in America. And um, this is just one topic that I just haven't been able to settle on. So I would appreciate any thoughts or comments you might have regarding it. Thanks, Tony. Take care. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Brad. Thanks for sending that in. A bit of a sticky wicket there. There's always been this huge debate between open carry versus concealed carry. Uh, the people that would argue for open carry would say it's it's a right, and again, this would be if you had an open carry in your state, that it's a right, that it should be exercised, and if it's not exercised, it should be used. They would also refer back to the Constitution, to the Second Amendment, saying that you have the right to keep and bear arms, meaning if you want to carry it openly, you should be able to. And if you're not allowed to carry openly, if you're prohibited from doing that, that becomes a violation of your Second Amendment civil rights. Uh, another thing that they would say for uh, open carry, a pro-argument would be that it inoculates people to the fact that the average everyday citizen, who's not a prohibited possessor again, could have a firearm on them and it makes it more normal in the culture so it doesn't cause a panic. So the more people that do it, the more it becomes, eh, it's not a big deal. Uh, we see that out here in Arizona, a lot more people open carry. There's still not that many that do. Um, I had asked for people to, to give some open carry uh, stories and things like that. I didn't really get any responses. I also asked if there are any women out there that are doing that. If if you are a person that open carries on a regular basis, man or woman, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and kind of let me know some of your experiences that you've got, uh, both good and bad. Um, other Other pro arguments would be that if you are carrying out in the open, 
you can access your firearm much quicker uh, because it's not concealed. You don't have to, you know, do this, do that. It's it's usually going to be in a uh, an outside the waistband holster. It's probably going to be a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you're not going to have to change your wardrobe. All this other type of stuff. Um, also, they would they would go along the same argument of it is a uh, a way to deter criminals. Um, and then you can then they'll cite the story recently. Uh, of the two gentlemen that were in the restaurant, some people were going to come in and rob it. They saw the guys with the guns, uh, and and then took off and, and were going to wait. Well, eventually, got you know popped by the police. And I think I talked about that on the last show. Um, now the people who are who are against open carry would argue they're against it for these points. They're not going to argue that they're against it because they don't think that you should have the right or the ability to do it they're going to argue on grounds of you do give up a you give up a tactical advantage because uh, and we're going to see the opposite argument used for some of the pro stuff uh, because a criminal may know a criminal if they if he sees your your firearm may decide to target you to take that or may decide to target you and follow you home and then come to your home when you're gone because they know that there's at least one firearm there and probably there's going to be more. Um, they also talk about that you're maybe, again, a greater risk if someone's going to try and take the gun away from you, that type of thing. Uh, sometimes they will say that if you get the debate between people that want open carry and people that are trying to get concealed carry, that's not so much of an issue now. It used to be a little bit more in the past. They would say that if, if open carry is allowed, then we're never going to be able to get concealed carry because uh, the legislatures and everything will say, hey, you've already got open carry, why do you need to conceal it? That type of thing. Uh, so those are just some of the arguments. I'm sure there's others out there that I haven't covered. About the only thing I can do is sort of give you, I can't really give you a, a right or a wrong answer on that. I, I don't know that there necessarily is one. Uh, and again, for every argument that you have for one side, you can counter it with a different argument from the other side. So the story of, you know, the person uh, who was open carrying gets shot uh, first uh, versus the person who was open carrying and the criminal, you know, later gets picked up and said, hey, I didn't choose that dude because I saw that there was a firearm there and I didn't want to risk it. In, in my, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. In my experience when I was a probation officer, and again, I dealt with juvenile, but I also dealt a lot of times with their brothers and uncles and parents and all this other stuff who, of course, were adults. Uh, and a lot of those had a very extensive criminal background. Most of those guys, if they see someone that is open carrying, they're not going to mess with that person. They're usually going to leave them alone. And that's, again, most, not all, but most. Uh, also, you know, we talk about things, whether you're concealed or open carrying, how you present yourself to the world, what your situational awareness is determines a lot whether you're going to get picked or targeted by the criminal element. My experience with those guys was if they were going to deal with somebody who was oblivious, that's who they wanted to do. They didn't want to deal with somebody who was looking around, who was 
aware of their situation who when they saw him either made you know eye contact didn't mad dog him or stare him down but just looked at him and you know kind of moved on so that you know that person the the criminal guy says well hey this guy knows he's he's looking at me and he knows i'm about so he's aware i'm going to move on to somebody else that's generally what i saw for the most part for the most part these guys don't want any trouble they when they talk about that risk reward thing they want the greatest amount of reward for the least amount of risk and they wouldn't probably codify it like that but that's what's going on in their head and that's what a lot of the older school guys have have taught the younger guys that are coming up or what they just learn by doing uh, so let's talk about um, as a political statement, I, I think it is something that we probably should do if you have it in your state. I don't know that you necessarily need to do it every day. For me, I carry concealed 99% of the time. Uh, very rarely I will, I will carry open. I probably should do it more. I probably should do it like at least once a week. Uh, and again, just, uh, but when I'm doing that, what I want to do is make sure that I'm, you know, uh, well-groomed, so, you know, uh, and, and have nice clothes on. I don't look like I just rolled out of a dumpster, that type of thing. Um, I do want to get a better holster for me to conceal, I mean to conceal carry in. For me to open carry in, I need one that has a little bit more retention. That's another thing that you, you know, you can have to deal with is, is your, your, uh, holster needs to have a good retention system on it. And even if you thought, well, no one's ever going to come up and try and, you know, yank the gun or wrestle the gun away from you. Uh, just if you had to run or if you're moving around or, you know, you tripped and fell, you don't want it to go skittering out of your holster. You want to have some type of retention. Also, uh, let's say that if somebody targeted you and this could go, again, for both open or concealed carry, you need to have, uh, your holster needs to have some decent retention on there. Uh, if somebody, let's say they, they didn't know, even though you're open carrying, they didn't know that you had a firearm on you, they came up from your, let's say your left side if you carry on the right, and you get into a physical altercation with them, uh, you don't want them to be able to easily access your firearm during the, during the struggle. Uh, but So I guess maybe the long and short of it is, I think that it's a good idea to do it um, occasionally. For me, though, like I said, the majority of the time I carry concealed, I think that there's, it's, for me, I would rather just have no one know whether or not I have one. Uh, I don't begrudge anybody for how they choose to carry a firearm. I'm just glad that they carry a firearm. Um, just a couple of stories. I've approached people and talked to people who are open carrying, came up to them, uh, you know, and was, of course, did it in a very non-threatening way. Uh, and and talked to him and said, hey, I'm glad to see that you're open carrying. Well, and we start up a little conversation. And I say, oh, well, you know, hey, thanks for doing that. Thanks for exercising your Second Amendment rights. And then I, I move on. And uh, I think those people get a kind of get a kick out of that. It, it kind of makes their day a little bit. Um, you know, and uh, kind of getting back to some of the other stuff about some of the arguments, if you're open carrying, you can still you can still do it discreetly. Uh, you don't have to have it in a shoulder holster. If you've got it down, you know, wearing it on your hip. Uh, again, if you have a nice holster, if you've got a darker, maybe leather holster, or a really nice Kydex type thing, uh, I, I prefer leather. 
uh, but again that's just that's just aesthetic preference um, if you've got let's say a dark holster say you had a black leather holster you were wearing black uh, or dark uh, slacks and you had a darker t-shirt on a lot of times that sort of disappears most people do not notice at all they don't pay attention to you um, probably if you're listening to this podcast you're going to be different than most people you and i or well i guess i should i can speak for myself i shouldn't speak for you guys what i do when i go into uh, when i'm going into let's say like a, a lowe's or a home depot or wherever a restaurant when i see somebody coming in i tend to look at their at their waist and i tend to look at their pockets uh, because what I'm looking for is a little bit of a print to see if I think that they're maybe carrying. So I look for bulges around the waist, maybe in the shirt, if the shirt's untucked. If um, the shirt's tucked in, I look for the outside clips. Most people aren't going to do that, and partially because we have sort of a taboo in our culture of looking, of kind of looking somebody up and down. Um, in, in our society, and in most societies, you, you're supposed to kind of focus on the face, uh, and you're not really supposed to be, you know, scanning somebody else's body. But you know, that's part of being aware of your surroundings. It also what it does is it sends off a, a signal to if somebody else is watching you, they see that you're watching other people and that you're looking for things. So again, a lot of times I think it's just the the debate of open carry versus concealed carry a lot of times leaves out the important thing of you still need to be aware of your surroundings and you need to project the fact that you are aware of those surroundings so i know it's a long-winded kind of diatribe on this stuff but uh hopefully that answered some of your guys's questions hopefully brad that maybe makes it a little bit easier for you i, I don't know if i can uh if i helped you out or not hopefully i did Okay, now actually, uh, let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. Um, I actually got a letter, or not a letter, I got an email from Brad. And uh, he sent me a, a copy of the letter that he from uh, his, his representative. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about making contact your state rep, your U.S. senators, um, when new legislation is being proposed, whether it's good or bad, you need to be involved, that type of thing. So... I wanted to share the uh, the letter that uh, Brad got from his representative. And I know some of you guys may say, well, I don't live in that area or that guy's not my rep. Why do I really care? Uh, and again, like we've talked about before, the guy that's maybe your rep today may be running for the Senate tomorrow, maybe uh, running for you know governor, this or that. And it's good to be able to have some past references. Uh, and before we read out the letter, though, I do want to say that Nine times out of ten, when I write these guys, uh, especially when I'm, I'm sending emails um, or actually handwrite a letter, uh, I get something back from them. The email, I usually get a response. Um, and nine times out of ten, it's not a canned response. It's a, they'll reference things that I talk about in the email or in the letter. Uh, I've gotten stuff from Kyle. I've gotten stuff from... Uh, McCain. Uh, some of those were, were kind of form stuff, but even the, the one from Kyle addressed some of the issues that I talked with him about. But these guys are our representatives. You know, don't ever feel that you shouldn't contact them. Um, 
I think it was Ted Nugent that said, you know, those guys need to know who you are. You need to be contacting them, uh, you know, all the time. And you need to contact them when they do something that's good. I've written thank you letters to these guys saying, hey, uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for doing that. I've, um, I've also written letters saying I was, I was disappointed on, on this vote. And uh, you can write the letters in a way where you don't come off as somebody who uh, is kind of just an angry person because they're usually just going to kind of, you know, round file those. Um, but you can, you can say, I was, I was disappointed in your vote on such and such and reference some stuff that they've done in the past that you like. So what that lets them know uh, is, is that, that you're watching them. Uh, and, and you can say, like, uh, for instance, um, one of the letters I wrote to uh, one of uh, the guy it was, I think, uh, Tim Shraney, who's now the mayor of Chandler, uh, out here in Arizona, and he was a, a, a state representative before. So again, we see these guys bounce around from different things. But uh, when he was in the in the uh, in the House of Representatives, I wrote him a letter saying, "I'm disappointed on how you voted on, you know, Senate Bill One Two Three." In the past, on Senate Bill, you know, five six seven, and on Senate Bill, you know, four two one, you voted this way, and I don't understand why you're seeming to, to not support uh, this particular, which was a firearms issue, obviously. But uh, I'm not, I don't understand why you're not supporting this when you've supported this stuff in the past. And I got a thing back from him, and you know, he said he was going to take the matter under consideration, and blah 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 blah. And eventually, and I've talked about this guy before, eventually when push come to sh came to shove, he, nine times out of ten, would vote pro-Second uh, pro Amendment. So anyway, let me go ahead and uh, read the response that I got from, uh, that Brad had sent me. And uh, this is from his uh, representative, Dave Camp. And he writes, uh, blah, 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 say, I wholeheartedly agree that Congress should not enact any new gun control legislation. Like you, I am a strong supporter of the Second Amendment and the protection it provides for the rights of American citizens. I believe the right to bear arms is a fundamental principle upon which this nation was founded and will work to preserve this right for future generations. Be assured that I will oppose any legislation that seeks to limit law-abiding Americans' right to purchase and own firearms. Thank you again for taking the time to contact me. Signed sincerely, Dave Camp. Um, so that, you know, that's a really good sign. You see that at least uh, this guy is, is willing to, uh, you know, stand up. Now, the next part that you're going to have to do is, yeah, he sent that to you, and yeah, he has said those things, but then what you need to do is go and look at the guy's voting record. And if he votes for or supports things that limit Second Amendment rights uh, or goes against what he said, you need to contact them and say, I'm, I'm, I don't understand why you're taking this position where, in reference to this letter that you sent me, you said you were going to support pro-gun rights things. So uh, anyway, I, I just thought that was neat. I thought it was neat. I know Brad had got a kick out of getting that response back. Um, and again, too, you know, you can write the people, even if, if they are anti-gun, and you're just like, oh, my, you know, my representatives down here are crummy and they're doing this. Write them. Let them know what you want them to do. Uh, and, and if they don't, 
follow up. Yeah, you, you, you know, you need that's when you need to follow up and get a little bit more involved in the political process. Get out there, you know, when it's election time, and uh, talk to your friends about it. Say, oh, this guy, you know, doesn't. And if it's not necessarily some of your friends aren't, they don't care one way or another about some of the the pro guns issues. Couch it in terms of. You know, this guy's not good on civil rights. This guy's good on expanding government and being more of a, a big brother type figure than they are in trusting, you know, us as individuals with being able to make our own decisions. There's all sorts of ways that you can go about this stuff. All right, my friends, let's go ahead and wrap it up for today. I'll go ahead and drop in a song uh, that I was talking about earlier. And again, this is by uh, Kevin McLeod. Hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Hope you guys got something out of it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Has given him superhuman strength. Oh,